That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us on The Great America Show. The Russians continue to bombard Ukrainian cities mercilessly, the death toll rising by the thousands each week. And the Russian war on Ukraine has gone on now for 21 days. Three weeks of unrelenting devastation and destruction in Ukraine. Against the overwhelming Russian forces that Putin has thrown at Ukraine, the resistance and the military have held the Russians off and show no sign of weakening. Neither does their leader, President Volodymyr Zelensky, who yesterday offered some reason to hope negotiations with the Russians might produce a way forward to a truce, a ceasefire. Zelensky says he sees no opening for Ukrainian membership in NATO, the principal issue that Putin asserts and his motivation for the invasion of Ukraine. So we'll see what, if anything, the talks in Geneva produce overnight. Both sides are constructively, as the Ukrainians put it, negotiating a 15-item agenda that could lead to a ceasefire. President Biden, who's now scheduled to attend next week's NATO summit in Brussels, has escalated his rhetoric against Putin, now calling him a war criminal. And Biden approved a tremendous shipment of arms to Ukraine including five gunship and transport helicopters, hundreds of Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, 800 of them in fact, and 2,600 more Javelin anti-tank missiles and tens of millions of rounds of ammunition. Within that context, European leaders are holding their breath and hoping the talks can halt the war and lead to a peace agreement. Putin can't be pleased with either his military's performance in part because they haven't taken control of any of the 10 largest cities in Ukraine, and they've suffered shockingly high casualties and loss of equipment and supplies. And we do have some signals of expected progress in those truce talks evident in the oil market, where prices have fallen by a third from recent highs, and in stock markets where stocks have moved higher obviously because investors are hopeful these talks will result in more than a simple stop to hostilities. Zelensky today said he believes World War III is now underway. I infer from his remarks that he's looking at, of course, the war that is so devastating and deadly in his own country. But at the same time, looking beyond what is rapidly becoming a new alignment of powers, China and Russia, Russia and Iran and India in new energy trade relationships. And all four powers seem to be working toward building an axis that would dominate the world, leaving Europe, the United States, Japan and Australia and other countries to fend for a geopolitical combination that would also be a military alliance. Those countries now are engaged in global psychological warfare propaganda and disinformation campaigns, as well as cyber warfare. Sorting out and identifying truth in the midst of all of this is truly an immense undertaking each day. 
and made all the more difficult in America with our highly divisive politics and polarized society with now critically important midterm elections just over seven months away. And the left using their total control of government, including our legal system, to carry out the most vicious persecution of American citizens in history. And there should be no mistaking the purpose of the Marxist left in control of our courts, most of the attorneys in the country as well, they mean to destroy President Trump through the Soviet-style January 6th committee to stifle dissent and lessen support for Donald Trump throughout the country. To take up those issues, we're joined by Mark Meadows, President Trump's former chief of staff. He served four terms in Congress, was chair of the Freedom Caucus, now senior partner at the Conservative Partnership Institute. Mark has lived and worked at the center of the nation's political battles for power for years. And now, Mark Meadows, great to have you here on The Great America Show. Lou, great to be with you on The Great America Show. As always, thank you for bringing truth to the American people and consistently being willing to uh, talk about those issues that candidly uh, don't get uh, referenced very often. But it's great to be back with you. Well, thank you, Mark. And let's start with, uh, you've been in the crosshairs of the January 6th Commission, or as I style it, the Soviet-style January 6th Committee. Uh, we're also watching Mark Elias, the dim uh, attorney, the leading dim attorney, trying to disqualify congressional candidates based on, quote unquote, their uh, support of uh, either Donald Trump or just calling them, terming them as insurrectionists. I mean, it's outrageous. Uh, give us your thoughts on all that and whether or not this is an outright uh, coordinated effort on the part of the uh, January 6th committee, Mark Elias, his lawfare uh, cronies who are taking these unprecedented legal steps trying to stop Republican candidates. Well, obviously, when when you try to stop Republican candidates and you don't leave it up to the, the people, uh, you've you've fundamentally uh, not supported what our founding fathers uh, believed that was best for government, which is let we the people decide uh, on the merits of of who they should vote for, how they should vote, and and candidly, we start to see a whole lot more of that uh, this time of year as as you look at redistricting, you start to see a, a number of challenges that go up uh, that uh, generally speaking in those more swing states where they they look to get an advantage on redistricting. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the January 6th committee. Obviously, uh, a number of us uh, have been outspoken that, uh, you know, those who broke the law on January 6th should be held accountable. But yet at the same time, We've seen uh, a political operation that is far-reaching, Lou, and, and by a political operation, uh, the willingness by this partisan committee, and, and by that I would, would suggest that uh, it is not just partisan, but it is a political committee that uh, long ago abandoned any hopes of having uh, a legislative uh, purpose uh, that that what they're doing is digging in deep to try to to look at aspects that uh, would never show up in any kind of legislation. You know, Lou, you and I, uh, we go way back. And when I was a member of the House, uh, you looked at at a number of uh, of issues as to 
what kind of legislation you would put forward, how you would try to rectify a particular situation. But this January 6th committee has gone well beyond that. And uh, and hopefully uh, the American people are seeing that. In combination then with Mark Elias and his lawfare uh, effort to disqualify Republican candidates, I'm talking about sitting Republicans, uh, candidates uh, who are incumbents. Uh, I'm talking about Ron, uh, Ron Johnson, senator from Wisconsin. Uh, how in the world can the Republican Party not respond more aggressively? And I'm talking about Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, uh, uh, Ron McDaniel at the, at the NRC. They're just sort of watching this happen. Uh, well, as it occurs. They do need to respond because I, I can tell you that uh, if if there is silence, if if the left uh, and their attacks is met with silence, there will be more of it. Uh, candidly, uh, there needs to be a, a real all-out effort, whether it's at the RNC or the NRCC or or the NRSC, uh, all three of those. Whether it's Ronna, Kevin, or Mitch, uh, they need to have. Uh, a plan that is not just a defensive plan. I, I would encourage them to to actually look at this and making sure that the voters' voices are heard, uh, not not just in in Georgia or Florida or Pennsylvania, but yeah. they need to to also address that in states like Illinois and in other states that a lot of your listeners may say, well, this is more of a, a left leaning state. Um, it's important that on all of those fronts that they they fight back and say, listen, uh, let's make sure elections are not decided by attorneys. Let's make sure that they're decided by voters. Right. And we are seeing some a number of attorneys start to get involved uh, at the request of the Republicans in Wisconsin, for example, a special counsel there found considerable uh, irregularities. And uh, and actually wants the state to decertify the 2020 election based on the on the discovery of the uh, manipulation of both uh, the election itself uh, and uh, not not having authority to do uh, drop boxes and so forth. Uh, this is sort of a problem for the for the lawfare people who want to to this. To disqualify uh, candidates because of so-called insurrection, uh, first of all, it means that there were problems with this so-called perfect election in 2020. Well, when you look at Wisconsin, and obviously Senator Ron Johnson is up for re-election there, uh, that will be the focus of a number of those on the left. They will see that as a Senate seat that they can pick up. And so all of a sudden they will have a lot more attention there. But it is very difficult to look at Wisconsin and Wisconsin state law and suggest that their state law was actually followed. And, and that's what you're referring to is yeah. when you have, have a special prosecutor that is looking at their state law, the, the laws that were on the books and said, these were, were not uh, allegedly were not followed. And uh, we, we know that Zuckerbucks and, and other uh, uh, nonprofit dollars flowed into many states in, in an effort to actually uh, uh, do what what some have suggested is uh, 
uh, you know, uh, electioneering and 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 working uh, outside the scope of what a nonprofit would do, but yeah, yeah. but the bigger problem, Lou, is is uh, when you have state laws that were either ignored or put by the wayside, whether it's in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, uh, that that uh, really needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed now before the 2022 midterms hopefully uh, there's a number of people that are willing to look very closely at that and make sure that it's addressed uh, the republican national committee is more of a bank uh, but uh, these are new times and the dnc is obviously a, an activist organization they even got involved in trying to overthrow a president uh, namely president trump so I'd like to see a little more energy from Ronna McDaniel and that group, uh, particularly on this issue that is uh, yeah. Republican candidates of being insurrectionists. And, and the, no well, one you has know, accused Lou, anybody of being an insurrectionist. Right. That. Lou, you know that a lot of this is just because a lot of Washington, D.C. Uh, would prefer that uh, Donald Trump had never been president. They don't want him to be president again. And, uh, and that, that still exists. Um, you know, I'm not one that normally, uh, looks at, uh, being, uh, uh, someone who will take up for the RNC, but I will give a, a little bit of good news. I, I do believe that Rana has gotten the message from donors and from people across the country that she and the RNC need to be engaged on this particular issue. And uh, and they're taking some meaningful steps and working with uh, with others uh, to make sure that not just states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin uh, are addressed, but other states. And and I think it's it's wrong for us to just focus on states where the, the vote count uh, suggested that Joe Biden uh, was the victor in some of these very close states. I think we need to look at this broadly, uh, look at audits broadly, look at make, making sure that it is easy to vote, but hard to cheat. And hopefully uh, we'll start to see that. Well, if you're talking about reform, certainly that's it. Uh, frankly, I don't see, I'm not nearly as optimistic as you because I don't see any meaningful steps toward, I shouldn't say any, I don't see many uh, meaningful steps toward reform. I do think Arizona's trying. I do think uh, George is trying. I right. think in Pennsylvania, I think in Wisconsin, those two states, uh, they're not doing nearly enough. And as a result, we're not, we may have shadows of 2020 with us once again, because of a, a, a lack of activism and energy and, and, and sheer guts and principle on the part of the RNC. Well, I, I, yeah, and I don't want to oversell their uh, their initiative other than to say that I think that donors have gotten their attention. And so that's where uh, where that comes from. I will say that across the country, uh, we're seeing more and more people get personally involved and not necessarily from just a partisan point of view, uh, Lou. It's it's from a voter integrity point of view. They're saying, listen, whoever uh, and whomever you vote for uh, is is up to you individually, but what we want to make sure is is that it's a free and fair election. Uh, you saw a lot of grassroots supporters come out in Virginia and making sure that they showed up at the polls. Yep. A lot of these people volunteered for the very first time, didn't have to, had other jobs, and uh, and just wanted to make sure that they showed up. I think we'll see much of that in uh, in the coming uh, uh, midterms in 2022, and certainly again in 2024. 
Well, I, I'll tell you for sure. And we're going to, we're doing everything we can on this show uh, to, to elevate the energy at the local level. Uh, I'm begging uh, Americans to get involved in their school boards. I am begging Americans to get involved in their city council and to get involved in politics at the community level where they have the most influence, the greatest control over the quality of their lives. And we can assure that once we're down to the precinct level, when votes come to pass, that we've got great Americans watching over that vote. We Bravo for you. No, you, you're, you're 100% right. Lou, Lou you, you're right. We can't afford not to do that. And here's the interesting thing is uh, we, by you getting them involved at, at a local level, uh, it, it is not only their voice as parents, uh, where they're saying, we know what is best for our children to be mm-hmm. taught in, uh, in coordination with, with great teachers and administrators, but the parents certainly have, uh, the critical role in all of that as, as they look at their children. But if they get involved, it's amazing how a few hundred votes can make a big difference in a school board race. I don't know about you. I'm, I've worked the polls for a, a long time, and I would see people come up. They might know who they're voting for, for senator or for a member of Congress or the president of the United States. But when it got down to school boards, uh, oftentimes they were scratching their heads saying, well, which one do I vote for? Who do I vote for here or there? And, uh, and so as we start to see that, I think the biggest thing is having them involved, as you say, at a local level will make all the difference in the world. We're watching a, a president who, uh, is saying some strange things as he discusses Ukraine. Uh, he sounds at, at times like a neighborhood bully and then others, he seems like he's gone off to a dark corner to suck on his thumb. Uh, when President Xi or President Putin uh, express themselves, or even President Zelensky. Uh, we have a, a, the newest poll from the Wall Street Journal saying 61% of Americans don't have any confidence that this president can avoid uh, a, an expansion of the Ukraine war. What's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, uh, the 61%, uh, I want to find out you know, who the other 39% are. <laughs> you know, Maybe they're the ones that uh, you know, would vote for Joe Biden no matter what. Listen, this is, this is a difficult situation. I don't want to suggest uh, in our conversation that these are, are answer, questions that are answered easily. But I will say this, that there is a trend. And the, and the problem is, is that we see for far too long that uh, world leaders have listened to Joe Biden's rhetoric and they realize that it doesn't necessarily get backed up with action. And and uh, even when you looked at the most recent sanctions, Lou, you know, where he was going to, I guess, sanction uh, um, shellfish, uh, vodka, and I can't remember one other uh, one other thing they were going to shelf, uh, you know, to, to sanction. I mean, this these are things that don't affect the average American, but they don't also affect the average Russian. And so, uh, when you look at this, uh, here's uh, how President Trump would handle it differently. He would not only uh, focus on our energy dominance, which he did, and and brought gasoline prices down, which. Uh, were extremely high. People don't realize that when President Trump came in, the gas prices were really high. He brought them to less than two two bucks a gallon. So every time that you know somebody is filling up now and they're paying you know four or five six dollars a gallon, 
they need to realize that there was a president in the Oval Office not too many years ago that actually uh, has a track record of getting it down. But it goes beyond just the energy dominance. It has to be an aggressive, assertive plan that says what we're going to do is take an energy solution to Europe. Get them off of Russian oil. Now, you can, you can do that through liquefied natural gas. You can do that through a number of other uh, American petroleum products. If the left would allow Joe Biden to focus on that, what we would see would be oil prices coming down immediately just upon the announcement, but also on the fact that President Trump would follow through on those things, even in spite of some of the political consequences. Uh, you know, he, I, I've, I've seen uh, far too often, you know, c- countries like Germany and, and others in Europe that he thought uh, might have been taking advantage of the good graces of the American people, and he would let them know about it. And, uh, and that goes for Russia as well. And so it's not just the fact that Russia did not invade when President Trump was in the White House. It's the fact that he would have taken action. Uh, Vladimir Putin knew that. Europe knew that. And quite frankly, both our, uh, our enemies and our allies knew that. And, that. and that's what we have to do. We have to follow up with a real plan that actually puts American energy dominance uh, back at the, the highest priority for this solution. And. President Trump, let's explore that just for a second, Mark. Uh, how else would President Trump uh, have behaved differently than Biden, for example? Uh, let's talk about, first of all, his, uh, he, it seemed to me, he made it very clear, he wanted to coexist with Russia, that he wanted to have a relationship with Putin, with President Xi, uh, even with Kim Jong-un uh, in North Korea. He was trying to have a relationship with people so that there would be coexistence without conflict. Am I well, right? Well, without a doubt. I mean, there are a number of uh, times uh, that he he would pick up uh, the phone, schedule a call, uh, whether it was with President Xi or, or Vladimir Putin uh, and other world leaders that he may not agree with. In fact, oftentimes did not agree with, uh, but he wanted to have a relationship because he knew that what happens is, is they depend on the American economy. They were instrumental as part of our American economy, uh, like it or not. Uh, the supply chain, as we look at China, is is a, a very critical com- uh, component of a lot of our manufacturing, uh, has some part or some part of it uh, made in, in China. And yeah. yet he was willing, he was willing to state the obvious. He says, I know you're for China or you're for Russia, but I'm for America and I'm not going to let you take advantage of the American people. And they knew that he he meant that. And yet at the same time, wanted to establish a relationship that did not escalate into, uh, you know, this this Cold War kind of foundation that we're seeing right now with with the Russia, Ukraine um, debacle. And people, uh, of course, don't give him credit because the the corporate news outlets in this country, everyone from ABC to CNN to you name it, all of them, uh, worked against him every step of the way. He put tariffs on Chinese exports to the United States, because properly so, uh, to create a balanced trade relationship. That's all. He didn't want to have the uh, 
the uh, greater hand. He wanted to have an even hand in exactly. all of his trade re- relationships. Lou, you're exactly right. And, and uh, you know, everybody that uh, is listening in may not understand uh uh, the the prowess that you have as it relates to economic uh, analysis, but I do. I uh, Lou Lou, you are uh, one of the the best at being able to look at a situation economically and say, "All right, this is what's happening. These are the counter arguments. This is what's not happening." But you're right. He was willing to put on tariffs. He was willing to use tariffs, and I. I must confess, I was not a big tariff uh, fan when I I came in. In fact, it was something that that the president and I had talked about a number of times uh, when I was a member of Congress. And yet he was able to use those, whether it was in dealing with China or our southern border. If you recall, it was it was the tariff issue that actually made uh, our, our Mexican government counterparts to our southern border all of a sudden say, well, we're willing to help you try to secure that border. Uh, it was the it was, and it leverage. Was a, it was a it was a breakthrough with the Mexican government like none uh, in our history. Uh, right. In fact, uh, and President Trump was understandably and appropriately proud of the fact that uh, Manuel Lopez Obrador uh, put 26,000 of his troops into the deal to assure security and the remain and and to support the remain in Mexico policy that made all of the difference in terms of illegal immigration and those who were, if well, you will, well, pushing he- the line to, <laughs> to get in. Well, you, you mentioned that, and and uh, he was proud of it, which was interesting because there again, it gets back to what you were saying earlier, Lou. It's a relationship between he and the leader of Mexico. Now, here's uh, the Mexican president at that particular time, very much more uh, a liberal, uh, someone uh, leaning way to the left, uh, President Trump yep. leaning way to the right, and yet they had a relationship of mutual respect where they could pick up the phone, did, had an admiration in spite of those differences to figure it out. But yeah, he took great joy in that. And some of those who said, well, we're going to make Mexico pay for our border security, they had to eat their words when uh, when Mexico was actually uh, uh, putting so many troops on our southern border to help us out. Yeah, our, our, our southern border and their southern border as well with Central America that's correct. Uh, trying to stop those caravans and successfully doing so. Uh, as as we consider this election, this upcoming election, without President Trump's presence in the Republican Party, I, I will say this. I don't believe that the Republicans would have a chance of winning it, despite the historical imbalance uh, in uh, the historic pattern of the party out of power in the White House. Uh, winning 26 seats uh, and, and in the Senate, four seats, uh, that on average, because th- the Democrats are so much smarter than the Republicans, uh, in my opinion, whether they're leading the House or whether they're leading the Senate. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I think probably the biggest thing is is Donald Trump has forever changed the Republican Party, uh, where it is one that actually identifies with the working man and woman, uh, the forgotten man and woman. And and President Trump was able to do that almost single-handedly, where people of, of a background that uh, really didn't identify on a personal way with President Trump 
but they did when it came to the way that he thought, the way that he loved America, the way that he was proud of it. And, and they could identify, you know, I, I remember telling a story uh, about uh, a union worker that, you know, went up at one of the Trump rallies. And I said, uh, you know, what, what is it that you like so much about uh, Donald Trump? And he thought for just a second, and he said, well, he's just like me. Well, it, it's interesting because here was a union worker that was uh, working uh, on an hourly basis and a New York billionaire uh, that built uh, skyscrapers. And yet the guy said he's just like me. That's what has happened. It has transformed us. And if if the Republicans think they can run away from that and not lose that forgotten man and woman, not lose that union worker and the hardworking American taxpayers that, that identify with, uh, they're sadly mistake. You know, I, I was thinking about exactly what you're talking about there uh, with the AEI, uh, uh, what would I call it, retreat? Um, yeah. Their, their little get together. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Trump wasn't there. And, yeah, uh, not, and not it, a surprise, not a surprise, but no, he wasn't there. But <laughs> my, my point being that that's, that's corporate America. That's the old Republican Party uh, with its hat in hand at the uh, at the trough, at the business roundtable, the Chamber of Commerce, AEI. And they brought all the regular fellows, you know, like Carl Rove and the bunch. And it's sickening to watch because that forgotten man and woman uh, who's uh, who, who captured President Trump's attention and uh, and concern has been forgotten again by this party. They're doing nothing for those people right now. Well, yeah, and we've got to because here, here's the issue is is that when when the person shows up to vote, um, the the Republican brand, the Democrat brand doesn't carry near the weight that it used to. And part of that is uh, podcasts like yours where people can get their information directly from uh, the newsmakers and from from those that uh, are doing the analysis. Part of it is the, you know, the Internet, the vast majority of information that you can consume very, very quickly. But the other part of it is, is that they start to see a divide, a divide between uh, a, a president that they voted for and record numbers turned out. Uh, they they love the fact that he is willing to to uh, go and meet with them. You know, even even with the most recent rallies that he's had, where you're getting record number. I mean, even with a sitting president, you didn't get the kind of numbers that Donald Trump continues to get. Standing room and only crowd in South Carolina a few days ago, where uh, you know the wind chill was down uh, at at the freezing level, and yet uh, record number of people showing up to support someone who has not announced that they're going to run for president. I mean, it. Right. But it's it's the fact that he cares. The other thing, Lou, is this: when he went to signing any kind of bill that had a dollar amount attached to it, he didn't see it as the government's money. He saw it as the American taxpayers' money. Why are we paying so much? Why are we not getting a better deal? And he, time and time again, asked that question, and they see it. Yeah, they do, and it's and when I hear Mitch McConnell say that. He's not going to put up with Rick Scott and his, what is it, 11-point program, and he shouldn't have said that. <laughs> 
Well, and you've been one that has called that out time and time again on a regular basis. You haven't been a, a, a Johnny come lately on that. And the biggest issue that we, we've got, Lou, but here's, here's the interesting thing that we've got to make sure of is, you know, being the leader of the Republican Senate or being the Speaker of the House is not something that's bestowed upon you as a right. It's, it's an earned privilege. And any time that you think that you're entitled to that, that somehow you're smarter than the American people, uh, it, it will not play well. And uh, Rick Scott putting forth an 11 point plan. God bless him. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad he came up with a plan. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what happens is, is that we, you know, so many people, they, uh, members of Congress, they campaign as if they're Hercules and they show up here in Washington, D.C. and they're Pee Wee Herman. And, and we've, got to, we've got to make sure that the Hercules on the campaign trail is someone who actually shows up and is willing to fight for the American people in the halls of Congress. Absolutely. And well said. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't agree with everything on uh, and on uh, Rick Scott's list either. But at least there's enough concern and pride and ambition and energy to put something down on paper and stand with it. OK, uh, and you and I both know you're one of the few people in Congress. And as you know, your colleagues, whether Jim Jordan, whomever, uh, you've made different you've made a difference in that congress well right we jim jordan and and those like jim uh know where their power comes from and it comes from the people that they have the privilege and honor uh, to represent uh in jim's case in ohio but it's even wider than ohio you know people all across the country come up to, to jim and say you know thanks for fighting for us thanks yep. for being one of the few that are willing to stand up and um and when you when you look at boldness and when you look at courage in uh, Washington, D.C., most of the courage that you see are for newly elected members of Congress who actually have risked it all to try to come and make their country a better place. And sadly, the longer they're here, the less courageous they become. And that's what we need to be. Listen, I, I call it the Potomac fever. I've said that before with you. They come across the Potomac and they lose their ever loving mind. We need to put something in the water when they come across the Potomac yeah. that they drink that actually fortifies their backbone, but it doesn't make it quite as mushy. Yeah, even if it's just an antidote to whatever that is <laughs> in the in the Potomac that they're they're swallowing, uh, I I want to I want to get your sense of just what you think will happen here uh, with the with the election itself. Are we going to see the rhinos prevail? Or are we going to see them expunged? Do you think the the electorate is ready to say? Uh, to the uh, Kensingers and the Cheneys go away. Uh, we've had, I know that uh, one's retiring and the other is running against so far weak opposition, but uh, we, we've got to have, we've got to have a way to get rid of these uh, milk toast, bland rhinos who just, you know, they want every perk there is and power, but they want to kind of sit back and stand at the edge and not be noticed and, uh, and, and use their power to please the vested interest, Wall Street, corporate America. Is, yeah. there, is, is their time over yet? It, it's not over. I wish I wish I had better news for those that are tuned in right now, but uh, I, it's not over. I, I think that there is a real, uh, real push 
uh, to continue to to consolidate power with those who are, uh, as you mentioned, rhinos, Republican in name only. Um, and and the other is is that Joe Biden, you know, when you look at his track record, everybody says, you know, I, I, we we can't have any more uh, Joe Biden. So I'll take whatever are that I can uh, to make sure that we don't have to deal with that. Uh, and and that unfortunately creates a, a bigger problem because then you, you get timid people that get uh, put into office and, and people become disenchanted. What difference does it make? You know, if, if I'm going to have a Republican that votes like a Democrat and a Democrat that votes like a Democrat, uh, most people take the Democrat that votes like the Democrat, knowing that at least they're authentic. Uh, that being said, there are some bright stars out there. There's some people that I think are willing to fight the fight. Uh, if you are told and if you are told by people that supposedly are in the know that that person can't win for this reason or that person can't win for another reason, don't believe them because uh, Congress is filled with people who could never win and who were willing to show the courage to fight and stand up. And, uh, and I'm optimistic that a new day of an authentic uh, representative uh, is is coming to the halls of Congress. Maybe not in 2022, yeah. but it will start to to purge itself by 2024. You'll get a kick out of this. I'm going to make this real quick. Uh, and I know you're pressed for time, but uh, I was talking to a newly elected uh, uh, official. Uh, I won't identify who. Uh, he, I will admit he's a uh, he's a male. And he had just been elected, and I said something about rhinos, and he said, "Well, Mr. Dimes, uh, my consultant said I can't, I can't, uh, I shouldn't use that word." And I said, "Really?" <laughs> and I said, "In, in effect, well, then you shouldn't be using that consultant." Amen. I, I'm with you. Get rid of the consultant. Listen, uh, if you're not willing to call it out for what it is, you shouldn't be trying to to uh, be a member of Congress. Listen, for far too long. We've had people come of both parties who have come to Washington, D.C. They campaign one way and they legislate another. And they listen to their consultants because they think that ultimately that will get them reelected. And it does. Oftentimes it does. But to what end? If you get reelected and you're not making a difference, I mean, there's at least 20 to 30 members of Congress that have been in Congress for over a decade that if I gave your listeners their name, they couldn't pick what state they're in. Why show up for work if you're not making a difference? So uh, your listeners, if they get out and campaign for those that are willing to make a difference, um, Ultimately, it'll be their voice in Washington, D.C., and not the special interest voice that carries the day. Two other political questions. One, uh, you're in the arena. Tell us what you're up to. You know, I'm working at uh, the Conservative Partnership uh, Institute, where we are, are a nonprofit that we're actually working with conservatives uh, here on Capitol Hill. Uh, we'll have as many as 30 to 40 uh, conservative members of the House, people of courage that we meet with every single week uh, to look at strategies to to actually help them. Uh, we work with about 10 to, uh, to a dozen and a half uh, senators uh, who are willing to show boldness and, and work with all the people across the country to make sure that the conservative voice uh, is heard here. And sometimes it's lonely. I mean, I've often said that there's not a a, uh, 
a fringe benefit of being a conservative in Washington, D.C., but the fringe benefit is the fact that you're willing to be close uh, with the people that represent you. And so we're trying to give training and unity uh, to a lot of the conservative voice here in Washington, D.C. And finally, because uh, you are a veteran of the House of Representatives, served with great distinction and, and energy uh, and success, I want to ask you who you're who you think would make the best speaker of the house. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there, uh, Lou. I tell you what, I, I will say this. I do not have a vote. And so I'm going to equivocate on you, Lou, because I knew that that was going to be the final question here. <laughs> I will I will say this, that it, uh, it has to be. Uh, it has to be someone who is willing to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And, uh, and candidly, it, it, it depends on, on how many people uh, the Republicans win by. You know, if it's a slim majority, uh, it could be a vote that uh, would be very, uh, very difficult to uh, figure out who's going to win. Odds on favorite are still Kevin McCarthy. And, and I will say that uh, if uh, the Republicans win in a landslide, uh, Kevin McCarthy will get the the uh, the gavel from Nancy Pelosi, uh, and that would be the one. But the the key for Kevin and and uh, and those discussions are ongoing. Is let's have a plan now. It's not as important as who the speaker is, as long as you have a plan and say this is what we stand for. People are willing to rally behind a, a lot of people if they have a plan and the guts to go after it. We saw that when. Uh, Donald Trump was not supposed to be the, the 45th president of the United States. And he came down an escalator and said, this is what I stand for. And this is how we're going to get there. Uh, it was amazing how many people uh, saw that authentic, uh, not just rhetoric, but action and, and supported. So do you think that uh, Kevin McCarthy can play the role of honest, authentic, conservative Republican? You know, I've got a lot of friends that uh, that serve with him now, and that that think that he can. Uh, I will say he's he's given Jim Jordan uh, much more of a role than uh, I ever anticipated Jim Jordan to have, and letting Jim use his strengths. And as you know, Jim Jim's my uh, best friend in in Congress and patriot, and, yeah. and, a, and a real patriot. And so um, it is. It is important that we do what we do right now, Lou. We've got to come up with a plan. We can't leave a plan to just Rick Scott or or some lone uh, member of the House. Let's come up with a plan. What we what we believe in, uh, you know, you you and I are both uh, old enough to remember the contract with America under Newt Gingrich. Um, you know, their suggestion is that we can never do a contract again. But here's what we can do. We can, we can certainly come up with five, 10 different things that said, if you elect us, this is what we will put uh, before a vote within the first 100 days. We can do that, and that's something that's doable. And uh, I can tell you, we're working very closely to try to make sure that gets done. Well, good for you. Mark, thank you so much. I wish you all the very best and, and great success. Thank you. Lou, thank you. It was great to be on The Great America Show. God bless you. God bless you, Mark. And thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Tomorrow, here on The Great America Show, our guest will be Kash Patel. We'll be talking about Ukraine, the deep state, and radical Dems, and, of course, the conflict over the realignment of the world power order. 
Please join us here tomorrow. We want to invite you to sign up for our Great America Show Advisory and Newsletter. Simply go to ludobs.com. That's ludobs.com and click on the email newsletter button. It's as simple as that. And we'll send you our advisories and alerts as well as our weekly newsletter. I don't want to overstate anything, but I'm pretty sure you will absolutely sense at least a small positive change in your world outlook. We invite you to join us and stay in touch. Thank you. That's ludobs.com. Thanks. God bless you and God bless America.